Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and you can find that on page 1132 of the Bibles. <coughs> Romans 5, 1 to 11. <coughs> Let's remember that this is the Word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Amen. Stephen's going to open up this passage for us now. Good morning. Um, let's, let's just pray as we come to, to think about God's Word. <clears throat> Lord, we, we have just been hearing uh, from Your Word, uh, from Your Word of, of life. Uh, and Father, as we come to, to consider it now, to think about it a little bit, Lord, we pray that You uh, will help us to know um, what you would have us hear from it. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would use my words. Um, Lord, take away anything that is, that is not of you. And Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. Lord, may your spirit work in us. Lord, as we think about these, these incredible words of Scripture. Amen. So, Romans 5 um, what are we doing here? Uh, this, is, this is one of those, those funny weeks where we're, we're past Easter, uh, but we're not quite ready to, to move into the new series yet. So this is, this is a, a bit of a, if you look at the order of service or the, the monthly bulletin, this will say, this is a one-off. Um, so why have I ended up here? As most of you know by, by this stage, I, I've just been accepted to train for the ministry. Um, 
And a couple of weeks ago, thank you. And a couple of weeks ago, I was going through uh, two days of, of pretty intensive interviews. And one of the questions that I was asked was, are there, are there any Bible passages that have particularly spoken to you over the course of your journey? And there are lots of, of verses and passages that have, that have really spoken to me and encouraged me, and some that have given me a good kick up the backside when I've been distancing myself from God and not walking in His ways. But I have to say, one of the first pieces of Scripture that really did this for me and has been an encouragement to me ever since has been these opening verses of Romans 5. I grew up in a home where, where neither of my parents were Christians. Thankfully, my, my mom has become a Christian since. But I was, I was always sent along to church because, you know, it teaches you good morals and it makes you a better person and, you know, you make good friends and all of those reasons that non-Christians and sort of nominal Christians give for sending their kids along to Sunday school and, and Bible class and church and GB and BB. So I'd heard the gospel growing up and I believed it. I had no reason to doubt it, but I hadn't accepted it. Some of you are aware my father took his own life when I was nine. And after that happened, I, I began to question everything to do with God. And I very much closed myself off to that whole part of my life for a couple of years. And at the end of first year in school, I was pushed and pushed by one of my teachers to go to a scripture union camp. And eventually I relented and I said, look, I'll go if you stop annoying me. And one night at that camp, God really spoke to me through one of the talks. I can't even remember what the talk was about, but I can still vividly remember feeling God's presence on me and an almost irresistible urge to accept this, this gift of grace and give my life to Him. I still remember the sense of all of the burden that I had been carrying for those years just lift away and a real sense of peace and joy replacing it through the Holy Spirit who had just come into my life. And I went back home, and, and for a few months it was great. But very quickly I just faded back into the old routine. And my Christian life very much became about, about ritual. It was something I felt I had to do. It was a social thing. It was more about being with my mates rather than being with God. I might have been saved by Christ, but I had absolutely no life or growth with him. By the time I was 16, 17, I knew there was something seriously wrong with my life as a Christian. And I was questioning everything. Could God really love me when I was, when I was treating him so poorly? Was I definitely going to heaven with the way that I was living my life? Had what happened to me at the age of 12 even been real? And along came another scripture union camp, which if I'm honest, I went to to have a laugh with my mates and pick up some nice Christian girls. Typical things of a 16-year-old Christian boy. I can say that today, Catherine's not here. Um, it wasn't her, by the way. Um, <laughs> and both of those things were achieved. Good laugh with my mates. Got a few numbers, keep me going the rest of the year. But God had bigger plans. The passage we looked at that week, it was Romans 5, 1 to 11. And honestly, as I sat there each night, it felt like the talks were written specifically for me, and it changed everything. So hopefully, as we look at these verses over the next few minutes, you'll be challenged and encouraged by what God says to us 
through these words of Paul as I was and have been and continue to be. Now, Romans 5, it starts with a therefore. So it's important that we look at these verses in light of of what has come before. Romans was written by Paul to a church that at this stage he nor any of the other apostles had visited. It was a church probably set up by Jewish believers who had traveled to Rome after Pentecost. Paul hasn't been able to get to Rome yet, but he clearly recognizes that as Rome has conquered a vast amount of the known world and sits right at its center, it was vastly important that the Christians in Rome were teaching the true gospel. As from Rome, it's going to spread out throughout the rest of the empire into the known world. And so Paul writes the book of Romans, the letter to Romans, which John Stott describes as the Christian manifesto. He says it's the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the whole of the New Testament. In chapters 1 to 4, Paul talks about about the depth of our sin, God's anger at sin, his judgment of sin. He paints a pretty bleak picture, but it's a true picture of where we stand with God when we are outside of his grace. He then goes on to outline how through what Jesus did on the cross, we can be made right with God, how we can be justified through our faith in what happened that first Easter. And this leads directly into chapter 5. And this great passage of, of peace and hope and grace and joy and all of those results of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If we've put our faith in Jesus and what he did to take away our sin on the cross, we now have peace with God. And we can look at that peace in in two different ways. We can look at it in its its negative context, which means a, a ceasing of hostilities, an end to war. And the Bible plainly tells us that before we come to faith, we are at war with our holy and perfect God because we are living lives in opposition to him. And therefore, we are totally deserving of his just and righteous punishment. In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. This is the state that we exist in when we're living outside of God's grace. If we're living in in opposition to God, then we're deserving of God's wrath. In chapter 5 itself, in verse 10, it says that when we we were God's enemies before we were restored to a right relationship with him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Saw a great quote from Charles Spurgeon, which said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than than he thinks you to be. That maybe sounds a wee bit harsh to you, but we in our comfy Western society, we have a tendency to think that we're, we're not really so bad, are we? 
However, it's only when we, we truly understand the, the depth of our sin and that vast gaping chasm that is between us and God because of that sin that we can truly understand the depth of God's grace and our absolute and total need to accept and live out what Christ has done for us, to find that peace with God. And this peace that we, we now experience, it isn't just an end of hostilities, a ceasefire between us and God, a fragile thing that can be easily broken, like we've seen in, in our country in this last couple of weeks. No, it is so much more. We can also look at peace in a, a positive way. The, the Greek word used in the, the New Testament for peace and used here as a, as a word, irene, that's, I've absolutely pronounced that wrong. Hopefully in three years' time, I'll know how to pronounce all these words correctly. But it's an incredibly positive word. As well as peace, this word means contentment, completeness, wholeness, well-being, and harmony. Christians have, have not just ceased hostilities with God. We have, as verse 10 says, had our relationship with God restored. Because we have peace with God, we now stand in His grace with hope. We are now living in a, a place of, of undeserved privilege with God. We have not only had forgiveness from God through the cross, which would bring us back to the same neutral standing as, as Adam and Eve were pre-fall, but because Christ has also covered us in His righteousness, we who believe have been lifted up to the very throne room of the King. We now can call ourselves God's children, heirs to the kingdom with Christ. That is what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. And we are to live in this constant state of grace, this constant knowledge of what God has done for us. God's grace, it doesn't just save us. It should surround our whole lives. His grace, His love, helping us every day through His Spirit, alive within us, to live for Him, keeping our focus on Him. We don't in any way save ourselves. Only God, through that finished work of Jesus, can do that. And when He saves us, it's permanent. We are assured of that throughout the book of Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament. Jesus has made the sacrifice. He has paid the price. And when we accept what he has done for us, we are saved from that eternal punishment. That is what justification by faith means. All we have to do is accept it, to put our faith and trust in him. Many of us struggle with this. We think we're, we're not good enough to be saved, that we, that we don't deserve it. We don't. Or we keep messing up and we think, you know what, we're not really, we're not really Christians. I'm not really living this life. I, I'm not really going the way God wants me to. What, what, would God want me, what would God want with me anymore? But your future is secure. Look at verse 9. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved 
from God's wrath through him. You can't take away what God has done for you. It's actually kind of arrogant to think that you have the power to change something that God has done. When God saves you, it is permanent. His love for you is unchanging. Philip Yancey once said, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. That's what grace is all about. Where I was 15 years ago and many times since then, I really needed to hear that. I needed that assurance that my salvation was sure. And I needed to keep, that I needed not to keep my eyes on religion or good Christian habits or ticking the right boxes, but focused on Jesus and what he has done for me to keep me walking in that state of grace. And not looking back on a a moment of grace many years ago and then just going off in my own direction. Wonder are you at peace with God? Wonder if you accepted that grace that he offers you. That grace that we could never earn on our own. That grace that we need to be made complete and whole. To be at peace with God and live in his perfect presence forever. Have you accepted that grace? Have you put your faith in Christ? And if you have, do you continue to live in that grace? Was coming to Christ a a moment in your life long past? Or is it your whole life? Every day, every moment? Jesus doesn't just save us. He offers us life, a life with him, a life lived in his grace, growing in this faith that he has called us into. Jesus doesn't just offer us a a moment of grace. He offers us a life of grace and an eternity at perfect peace with our God. So are you at peace with God? Are you living life with Jesus, in constant conversation with him, immersed in his life-giving word, following his instruction, remaining in the grace that you have been shown. Is that your life? So we can have peace with God. We can stand constantly in his grace with a sure hope that our future is secure in him. And because of that, we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Verses three to five say this, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Paul is writing to a church which was facing persecution and hardship on a daily basis. All this talk of of grace and a restored relationship with God could lead to two responses from those hearing his words. Either, great, we shouldn't be having all this trouble, we should be living a trouble-free life, which in the situation they were in would have led to disillusionment 
when that didn't happen. Or them chasing after some sort of health and wealth, prosperity type gospel. Or Paul could be written off as an unrealistic dreamer. As what he said just doesn't fit with people's actual experience. These guys were suffering. They were struggling. And so he tackles the issue of suffering head on. Suffering was the the norm for the early church. As the church recognized people's need for Christ and shared the gospel in every way they could, they faced persecution. They faced opposition. And we know that wherever the gospel is is faithfully preached, opposition is found. Paul is saying that we can rejoice even in the midst of any suffering that we face, whether it be persecution or whether it be just the the problems and difficulties of this world. We can have joy in those situations because we can trust. We trust that our future is secure. We trust the, the promise of an eternity and this restored relationship with God. And we trust because we know that God can and does use even something as terrible as suffering to bring about good in our lives and to grow and build his kingdom. In his commentary on on Romans, uh, Douglas Moo describes our hope and faith as a muscle. As it's challenged by, by hardship and persecution, it grows stronger and better developed. And this seems to be proven. When we look at the persecution that the early church faced, When we look around the world today at countries that are desperately trying to stomp out the spread of Christianity through through horrendous acts, like those bombs last week in Sri Lanka, killing so many of our brothers and sisters. And yet, in those countries, what do we see? Christians who are through the Holy Spirit working within them, so filled with hope and faith and love and forgiveness for those not yet a part of God's kingdom. People able to rejoice and have joy and peace and hope, even as they suffer, even as they face death, because of the peace and the hope that they rest in in Christ. What an absolute challenge to us to go out and get stuck into sharing this message of grace and love with a world in such desperate need of it. Knowing that we will face opposition and rejoicing in the fact, not because we are sadistic, strange, weird people who like suffering, but because suffering is temporary. Romans 8.18 says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And because suffering causes us to grow spiritually mature and trust even more in God here on earth. So we can have peace with God. We can stand in God's grace and hope. And we can rejoice even in the midst of our suffering. And we can do all of this because we are saved through Christ. Verses 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. At just the right time. Right from the beginning, God had planned to intercede in that perfect moment to provide a means of salvation, a rescue plan for humankind. Even though we had turned against our Creator, even though we were living in opposition to Him, powerless to save ourselves, God stepped into history and took our punishment upon Himself in the form of Jesus so that we could be free from the eternal consequences of our sin. Paul says it's rare that someone will give up their life for a righteous person, that someone you respect. Some may consider giving up their lives for a good person, so somebody you love. But Christ, he gave up his life for his enemies, knowing that many would still refuse to accept him. John Stott puts it like this, God's love in Christ is absolutely unique. For in sending his son to die for sinners, he was giving his everything, his very self, to those who deserve nothing from him except judgment. Romans 5 tells us how we can have a peace and a hope that do not disappoint. Because through the cross, we see God's absolute love for us when he showed us that incredible, undeserved grace a grace that should lead us into joyful service and even potential suffering because we know that with the Holy Spirit's help, we can endure, that we can grow as we keep our eyes focused on all that God has done and is doing for us and how that has secured our eternal future with him. Let's pray. Father, we we come before you and we just thank you. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that even though we, we deserve nothing from you, that we turned our backs on you and that we live lives, even those of us who are your followers, we so often live lives that are so far from your perfect standard. And yet, you show us forgiveness. You show us grace. You show us love. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus did that first Easter. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you that that's not where it ended. We thank you that Jesus also rose from the dead, proving that he was your son, proving that all that he did was real, that it worked, that death no longer has a hold on us that through you we can have life, life here, but also life everlasting in your perfect, beautiful presence. But Lord, we know that on this, on this earth, in this world, we will face trials and temptations and suffering. And Lord, we pray that you help us. Lord, help us to keep looking to you in all things. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you Lord, whether the sun is shining down on us or we're in the desert place, Lord, we pray that you will help us to put our hope in you, to find our peace in you, and Lord, just to stay immersed in your 
incredible, amazing grace. Amen.